Good morning and a very warm welcome to our phone service and podcast for today, Sunday the 10th of December. And the recording comes live from Lara last week, where we were looking at Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 7 onwards. And we were seeing the goodness of God and the command to rejoice in God and to remember your Creator before it's too late. Let me read that uh, reading and then I'll hand over to Lara where the sermon uh, was recorded. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them, before the sun and the moon and the light, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets, before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, let me hand you over now to Lara Church for the... Let's pray for God's help as we look at his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that brings uh, light. Thank you that you've made a good world for us to enjoy. And we pray you'd teach us this morning to be those who do rejoice in all that you give us and remember you all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, that reading from Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 7 began with those wonderful words, light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. It is true, isn't it? We've had some beautiful mornings this week. They are, well, today is another one. Uh, you might not think it's pleasant when you're driving and it's coming straight in your eyes, but it is pleasant, isn't it? The sunshine, those beautiful frosty mornings when the sun uh, comes up. Or, or think of a, a foggy day when, when the sun finally breaks through and the fog lifts. Light is, is beautiful, isn't it? It's sweet. When the darkness breaks and we, we get to see how sweet light is and how many blessings God gives us to enjoy each day. But not everyone thinks so, do they? I wonder whether those rioting in Dublin were thinking about all that God gives us how kind God is, or were they dissatisfied with life and they thought that others were to blame and so they chose to riot? 
Now, the riots are, of course, they're, they're an extreme example, aren't they? But I think the seeds of their actions may not be so far from any of us. We just express it differently, don't we? Our dissatisfaction is expressed differently in more socially acceptable ways, like grumpiness. It's very easy to be grumpy, isn't it? Uh, I find it's much easier to be grumpy than to be grateful. It just comes so much more naturally, and it is kind of respectable, isn't it? But at its heart is dissatisfaction with what God has given us. And I have to confess to you this morning, it is a sin I have to repent of often. I'm not out rioting, you might be pleased to know, but I do find dissatisfaction in my heart that leads to a grumpiness. I can ask my wife. (laughs) There is a right dissatisfaction with life that we can have because we live in a broken world. And the preacher recognises that. So he's not saying, you know, pretend everything's fine. Do you see, he does talk about days of darkness in verse 8. There are days of darkness. We're not pretending everything's fine. And the Psalms are full of the psalmist crying out, how long, O Lord, how long will this go on? And full of lament. It is okay to express our pain to God when our pain is coming because of a broken world that we're living in. But there's also a sinful grumpiness that is actually more often to do not with a broken world, but simply because I don't get what I want. Things don't go my way. And so I feel sorry for myself and sulk and I'm grumpy. And that's what the preacher challenges us to repent of so that we might actually make the most of life and glorify God. The preacher's got just two words for us this morning. And we're going to spend most of the time on the first word he gives us, which is rejoice. Rejoice. And the second word is remember. Rejoice in God. And this is Ecclesiastes 11 verses 7 to 10. Rejoice in God. The preacher reminds us of the goodness of life, the joy of simply being alive. Think of those beautiful crisp mornings we've had this week. Think of the crackle and the heat from a beautiful fire. Or or we look forward to the gorgeous spring sunshine. The smell of fresh cut grass, the smell of a rose, the pollen in the summer. Life is good, isn't it? And the preacher says, look, if you're older, if you've lived many days, rejoice in the length of the days that you've had. So he says in verse 8, so if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But it's not just the older people who are to rejoice The young people are to rejoice as well. Older people are to rejoice for the length of days and younger people for the strength of days, for their youth, for their energy, for uh, their health. Young people rejoice, he says. Yes, days of darkness will come, but make the most of every day you have as a gift from God. Look at the wonderful command he gives to the young people in verse 9. Rejoice. O young man, O young woman, rejoice in your youth. And I take it to be youth, well, we could be even as generous as to say it's it's all the way up to those that are described later on in the reading in verses 3 to 8. Youth, it's probably more than just teenage years. Uh, It's certainly into early adulthood, but maybe even longer. Rejoice while you can. Rejoice, O young man, O young woman, in your youth. Rejoice 
all your days. What about when we drop our children off somewhere? What do we say to them? Behave yourself. What about saying to them, enjoy yourself? That's what the preacher says, isn't it? Rejoice. We're frightened of saying that. We're frightened of thinking, well, what might they get up to if we tell them to enjoy themselves? But the preacher's not afraid. He says, rejoice. Rejoice in your youth. Make the most of the time when you have less responsibility, when you have more freedom, when you have more energy. Rejoice. Have you ever wondered why does God command us to rejoice? Why does God want us to enjoy life? Well, think back to when he made the world. He made it, well, how many times were we told in the book of Revelation? He made it good. Many, many times. Good, and finally, when he makes man and woman, it's very good, he says. It's wonderful. In fact, it wouldn't be an understatement to say it's paradise. And God wanted Adam and Eve to enjoy it. Why did he want them to enjoy it? Because God is a God of love. And his love is between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's a love that overflows to others. And so he wants others to to come into that love and to enjoy what he's given them. And it seems that there's almost this sort of wonderful circle of increasing joy. As God sees his creatures enjoying the world that he's made, it brings him joy. And this joy continues. You see, God is not a spoil sport. He has filled the world with pleasures. I'm sure you've experienced many of them. He's made it a good place to live. But what did Satan do? He got Adam and Eve to somehow be dissatisfied with paradise. Can you you believe it? (laughs) He crept into the garden, this beautiful place, and it's almost as if he said, well, is this it? Is this all God's got for you? He can't be very loving, can he? He got them to doubt God's word. One writer on this passage says, This was the nerve the serpent touched in Eden to make even paradise seem an insult. He got them to doubt that God was good. He got them to think that God's word that was meant to give life and bring life and keep them alive was somehow suppressing them rather than giving them life and joy. Well, how do you look at the world Do you see it as a place filled with God's goodness? Do you have a sense of wonder at his gracious provision for you every single day? Or do you feel that somehow God is holding something back from you? Are you feeling bitter towards him? The preacher says rejoice, rejoice. It is precisely by enjoying the world that God has made that we show we've grasped the goodness of God. The goodness of the God that we proclaim that we love. If we fail to enjoy what God gives us, it's actually an offence to him. And I think that's why the verse ends with a warning of judgment. Do you see in verse 9? Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. And I think I've typically read that verse as, as a sort of warning to the young people uh, to, to sort of say, well, walk in the ways of your heart, but we need to put a bit of a caution in there, don't we? Because we don't want you going too extreme. Uh, and we're, we're worried if we say, enjoy yourself, what, what you'll end up doing. Uh, and it's true, of course, isn't it? There is a danger and there could be a warning here. 
that, that, that is there because we think if you say to a young person, walk in the way of your heart, well, they'll end up rioting or getting drunk or taking God's good gift of sex outside of marriage. And, and young people do need to be told these things. They do need to be told actually God's way is best. And his, his, his word is to bring us joy and life and freedom, not to restrict us. Jesus said in our gospel reading, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And what did he say? That his commands lead to joy, that you'll, you'll find joy as you follow him. His commands aren't to suppress us and ruin life, but to give us life. He knows what's best. So there could be a sense of a, a caution here. You know, remember, enjoy, rejoice. But remember, there's, there is judgment But I wonder if it fits slightly better with the tone of the passage. That if he's just been telling them to rejoice, he's almost saying, and God's going to hold you accountable for this. It's almost a warning that that God's going to hold us to account for how much we've enjoyed what he's given us. That that God is that serious about joy. It's, It's funny, isn't it? We don't think of joy as serious, but God is that serious about joy that he says, look, you know, you're going to be brought to account for this. So enjoy it. Enjoy what I'm giving you. Start with the small things. I think we have to start there, don't we? Start by being grateful for for all the, the, the wonderful country we live in, the beautiful country we live in, the safety that we mainly enjoy. Uh, when you have your coffee in the morning or your tea. I I was thinking about this this morning because I knew I had to preach on this and thinking of gratitude and it doesn't come naturally. But actually, have you ever thought how quickly we can boil water? It's amazing, isn't it? We just take it for granted. We could just put the kettle on and there's a cup of tea and a cup of coffee in not too long a time. The homes that you have, warmth, fire, food, friendships, fun, family. God is so good, isn't he? God is so serious about joy that he tells the young people to do everything they can to remove discouragement from their soul and pain from their body. That's what he says next in verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Vexation is any problem uh, that causes us to worry or to be angry or to be uh, sad. Uh, And he's saying as much as you can, put those things away. Don't worry about them remove pain and whether it's from an accident or an illness or a disability but that word could also be translated as evil if you've got the bible you'll see a little footnote uh, and it, we're told that that word pain could also be evil it's the the root the, the same word is 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 uh, for, for evil there that we've got translated pain so he might be saying remove all evil influences any evil influence that's coming upon your body remove it avoid it uh, and so he's telling us to remove it. Life is so short. Don't, don't let it be worried, weighed down by, by worries and by evil. What is it that causes so much vexation? I mean, there are things that are outside of our control. But I wonder whether so much of our vexation comes from wanting to be in control. What if you're not meant to be in control? One of the ways to remove vexation is to realise you're not in control. You you can't sort out everything. But God is. And wonderfully, the Bible invites us, God invites us in his word, to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 
And the Apostle Paul says to us in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a message that our children and young people need to hear? In a world that is so full of anxiety, to hear, look, you're not meant to be in control, but God is, and you can trust him, and you can give your burdens to him. In the middle of the night, when you wake up and you can't get back to sleep, to give that vexation to the Lord. When bad news comes, to pray to the one who cares, so that you can then get on with rejoicing. God wants to take these burdens from us. He wants us, he doesn't promise to deal with the problem straight away, but he can take away the, the, the worry and the vexation because he is in control. And there's a sense, I think, that the life, is, life is so short. He ends that verse by saying that the days of the dawn of life are vanity. And that word vanity, we've seen time and again in Ecclesiastes, it means mist or vapor or breath. He's saying life is so short. So don't waste it with vexation. If you can, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain or evil from your body. Life is short, so rejoice, he says. That's his first word to us today, rejoice in God. And the second word that we'll look at more briefly is remember. Remember your creator. And that's in chapter 12 and verses 1 to 8. There is a bit of a link to rejoicing by remembering because when you know that God's the one who made you and he's given you every day, well, that leads you to rejoice, doesn't it? And again, recognising we're not in control. We're not the creator. God is the creator. We're not. That's a relief as well, isn't it? You don't have to be in control. That writer I mentioned earlier on said, all the evils of the world stem from taking ourselves to be the creator. And that's true, isn't it? All the evils in the world come from us wanting to be in charge, wanting to be the creator. Whether it was the man in Dublin who attacked the school children, he decided he had the right to do it. The crowds that rioted afterwards, they decided they had the right to do it. To Putin, he decides he's got the right to do it. To Hamas. Each one thinking they know what is best. Each one wanting to be the creator. And so the preacher says, no, remember your creator. You're not the creator. God knows our tendency to to forget him. He told his people in the Old Testament to tie his word to to their hands, to put it on their forehead, to write his word down where they'd see it, at the entrance to their houses, on their gates, to teach his word to their children. In the New Testament, we're told to remember our Lord's death through communion. To remember Jesus died for us. To remember means to bring to mind and to act. If you say you're remembering someone's birthday, you're going to do something about it. Remembering an anniversary, you're going to do something. Bring it to mind and act. Remember your creator means make God central in your life. Remember your creator, and I got the children to count how many times they heard the word before, because you'll see in this passage three times before and it's like that little phrase remember your creator is repeated with each of them remember your creator before verse one the evil days come verse two remember your creator before the sun uh, darkens 
And remember verse 6, before the silver cord is snapped. Remember your creator before it's too late. Know the goodness of God and enjoy life before it's too late. I think he's, he's, he's wanting us to, to, to know that these things will come. So he's telling the young person, look, enjoy life, but also know that you're not indestructible, that decay and death will come. And so prepare wisely. Now, we might think, and I think that, that would be what I would normally think, would be this is, again, a sort of accountability. He's, he's telling them, look, you know, have fun, enjoy life, but remember one day you'll stand before God. But I don't think that's the preacher's main aim here. He wants them to, to think about how old age will be the harvest of the years that have gone before. And he uses beautiful poetry to paint a picture of growing old. Now, verse 2 sounds a bit like the, the chill of winter before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. It sounds like creation being undone. Uh, and next he describes the person like a house in verses 3 to 5. The day when the keepers of the house tremble. It's probably the hands, the hands that have looked after you, uh, that have worked for you when they start to tremble. The strong men, they're probably the, the things we stand on, the legs that we stand on and they're strong but now they're bent the grinders is probably the teeth and they cease and those who look out the windows is our eyes and things become dark it's it's harder to to see the doors on the ear uh, the, the doors on the street are shut that's the ears isn't it that uh, it finds it it's harder to hear maybe sleep is lighter and someone rises at the sound of a bird even though you can't hear very well the daughters of song are brought low. Singing becomes harder, perhaps. They're afraid of what's high. They're frightened of falling. Terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. That's a, a white blossom. And the grasshopper, that, that thing once so full of life, bounding along, is having to drag itself along. And desire fails. The, the word is for a, a, a caperberry that was meant to stimulate hunger. But even that, it, 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 it fails. Because the end is coming. And verse 8, verse 6, sorry, before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken again, a picture there of the end of life that is given. And he wants the young people to remember your creator before this happens. Not only, the, not only this sense of accountability, but so that you make the most of life, so that you, you live a life that God intends you to live. Because old age is the harvest of the years that have gone before. I found a, a letter from a man called James Miller, who was a minister. And I'll just close with this, because I think it really helps us to think about what the preacher's trying to get at. He's trying to get the young people to think, what you do now will affect all of your life. And he wants them to make the most then of life. So he says, old age is the harvest of all the years that have gone before. It's the barn into which all the sheaves are gathered. We are building the house in which we shall have to live when we grow old. We may make it a prison or a palace. We may make it very beautiful, covering the walls with lovely pictures. Or we may make it very gloomy, with pictures that will haunt us. 
how can we live so that our old age, when it comes, shall be beautiful and happy? Every day, we are helping to settle the question what it will look like. Happiness comes out of self-denial for the good of others. When one has lived to bless others, one has many grateful, loving friends whose affection proves a wondrous source of joy when days of weakness come. A happy heart sees rainbows and brilliance everywhere, even in the darkest clouds. And a sad heart finds fault in the most perfect of God's works. The old man, like the snail, carries his house on his back. Sinful years put thorns on the pillow which the head of old age rests. Sin may look pleasant to us now, but we must not forget how it will appear when we get past it and turn to look back on it, especially when we must keep in mind how it will seem from a dying pillow. Nothing brings such peace and quiet joy as the close of a well-lived past. Only Christ can make any life, young or old, truly beautiful. Only he can cure the heart's restless fever. Only he can purify the sinful fountain. To have a peaceful end, we must have Christ. Such a life grows brighter, even to its close. Well, I didn't read you the whole letter there, but it's beautiful, isn't it? And I wonder how those who first heard that letter, how they responded, what they did with it, and how you and I will respond to, to these words and the preacher's words to rejoice in, your, uh, in God and to remember your creator so that we might make the most of life and enjoy peace into old age. But what about if we do have regrets? Because we will surely have regrets, won't we? And the truth is, as the man wrote in that letter, only Christ can make any life, young or old, truly beautiful. And he can take them. Jesus is the only one who rejoiced perfectly in God. And Jesus is the only one who perfectly remembered his maker. Even though he's the maker of all things, he became man for our sake. And he's the only one that's done it perfectly. And he's died in our place so that everything, as far as the east is from the west, can be forgiven and taken from us. And he invites us to trust him. And when we do... When this earthly body fails, we'll be given a resurrection body. We will be raised to eternal life. Let's pray as we close this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for these wonderful commands to us today to rejoice. And we pray you'd forgive us for times of grumpiness when we don't get our own way for dissatisfaction rather than rejoicing. Please make us people who are truly grateful for just the small things. And out of that, may we become more joyful people. And we pray we'd be those who remember that you're God and we're not. And that we'd be building our lives now into something that will be beautiful as we grow old. And something that will mean that because we're trusting in Jesus, we'll be raised to eternal life. Please help us to rejoice and remember you. In Jesus' name, amen. The sermon. Well, just uh, let me break into the, the service there to update you with the announcements before I hand back for the, the final hymn. And uh, that is to say this week we've got Bible study on Wednesday night at 8.30. 
Um, and then uh, this coming Sunday will be our last Sunday and we'll have carol services in the morning and then in the afternoon from four till seven you're very welcome to come to the rectory for Christmas nibbles and a chance to say goodbye that's Sunday the 17th between 4 and 7 p.m. Well our final hymn is one that reminds us of that theme that we can cast all our burdens onto the Lord, remove vexation from your heart. It's a, a hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. He, he takes all of our burdens on himself. Uh, let's uh, sing that together now. sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we the service by receiving uh, God's words of blessing in the words of the grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and always. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. God bless. <laughs>